0: Don't be afraid that your child is going to wind up behind everyone else because they will wind up behind everyone else if they're super stressed out. That's, that's much worse. That's much more detrimental than the missing school for a day.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 241. Today, we're talking about the complete home learning guide with Lauren Spiegelmeyer and Kimberlyn Lavelle. welcome to the mindful mama podcast here it's about becoming a less irritable more joyful parent a mindful mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have and when you have calm and peace within then you can give it to your children i'm your host hunter clark fields mindful mama mentor i help smart thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome! I'm so glad you're here. And if you're new, welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad to connect with you. So I have to tell you something. As I record this intro it's actually the first day of virtual school for my kids and you know i'm feeling a lot right now this is kind of intense and there right now my 10-year-old is outside on our patio doing her morning meeting with her teacher and she's taking it really seriously and she's doing great and uh, that feels good. Right now, my 13 year old is like I've offered to give her some help and she's just like monosyllabic answers to me and she's not being not not very not very uh, connecting at the moment with me, which is kind of the way of 13 year olds, but it's still hard for me as a highly sensitive person to, deal with that. So I may or may not have had a wee little cry on the hammock and then gone inside, splashed some water on my face and moved on. Oh my, first day of school. So, uh, you know, there's so many different situations for people out there. I mean, I know that your situation, you may may not have kids who are in school ages yet. You may be dealing with in-person learning you may be dealing with home learning you may be you're probably juggling some work with helping your kids through this whole situation and it's crazy COVID 2020 oh man you're just just playing with us so it's it's hard it's hard for all of us and I want you to know that you're not alone if this is hard you know it's hard and we can get through it. So, I want to give you a few wonderful growth mindset mantras for us parents before we dive into this episode for the new year. So, let these be <clears throat> some of your mantras. We don't need all the answers to get started. We don't need all the answers to get started. Everything is figure outable. One of my favorites everything is figure outable. Let's remind ourselves that my child, their teacher, and I are on the same team. My child, their teacher, and I are all on the same team. Together, we can do hard things. We don't know the full plan yet, but we'll figure it out. And this is hard, but we can work together for solutions. This is hard, but we can work together for solutions. And that's what this episode is all about about is working together for solutions and so I'm very excited today to give you two awesome educational experts. Um, the first person you will hear from is Lauren Meyer and she is the founder of the Behavior Hub and professor at University of Pennsylvania. And she's a teacher who stopped reacting to the daily fires of her classroom and started preventing issues. And she coaches parents and teachers to get the results they want using techniques learned from studying neurobiology and nutrition. And she, we're going to talk about, um, about how to set up your optimal learning environment. What does that look like as far as the space? how can you make a great space? I'm also going to be talking to Kimberlyn Lavelle, an education specialist who has worked with struggling learners with a variety of profiles for over 15 years, and she teaches the best strategies to parents so they can teach their own children successfully. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, this is a school year that looks very different from 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 before with many kids you know we're just learning completely virtually or even homeschooling right so what's the best way to learn at home what do we need to pay attention to what can we let go of and they're gonna walk us through this new learning at home land okay and i want you to listen for some really important takeaways that mental and emotional health is the number one priority Oh my gosh, mental and emotional health is the number one priority. I can't stress this enough. This is so, so important. It was such a relief for me to have these conversations and to hear this, that moving our bodies and getting outside are essential to learning and brain development and that we can design the space from seating to decor to aroma to optimize learning. So make sure you listen through to the very end. This is a very powerful episode and you are going to get so, so much out of it before we dive in i want to let you know that if you are listening right when this opens you might have a couple days to join the mindful parenting membership this is the perfect time to join we bring together it brings together mindfulness self-compassion and skillful communication to give you all the skills you need to become the parent you want to be in this challenging time and join a community of hundreds of other families around the world we're doing the same thing and we walk you through how to talk so your kids will listen to you more even when they're giving you monosyllabic answers how to reduce your reactivity and we have some awesome bonuses we've just put together the seven very best mindfulness practices for kids bonus is brand new and, um, and we have the awesome like over 100 page mindful parenting workbook that is only available through the membership. So there's so much there. You may have a couple days. You may be able to join if you're listening to it in uh, as this episode comes out, or if you're in the future, check it out. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. It's a way to dive in deeper, work with me more. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. Okay, let's dive into this episode. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast
2: thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this.
1: Well, I'm glad to talk to you. This is such a crazy time. And I'm super excited to kind of think about like that perfect home learning environment because um, this might be a little selfish, but I need this too, of course, for my kids too. Um, But you're, you're really passionate about helping kids with emotional regulation. And I, I don't know. I know from talking to a lot of people, and from knowing myself, that a lot of these passions for helping people to stabilize these things and to dive deeper into this, it comes from personal, personal challenges often. And I, I wonder, like, if, where does that passion for emotional regulation come from for you?
2: That is such a good question. I, from the classroom, from being a teacher in a classroom, multiple classrooms, and having a lot of kids that were really challenging and and these kids very quickly get labels from other teachers and they come to you and you know what to expect based on other teachers' perception of them. And that always became a very interesting thing to me. Like, why do these kids respond and react this way? And not only that, but but what are natural solutions that we can put in place to help them instead of just label them and, and respond to them? But what preventative measures can we take? And that led me into a whole lot of research on all the elements of emotional regulation especially the one we're going to talk about today
1: so we, oh, so it's really interesting because we think of emotional regulation as this like completely internal thing that's happening right like and you know we look at tools like like mindfulness and you know looking at that stress response very much as an internal thing but what you're pointing to is that there's a lot of like back and forth with the environment and what I point to a lot is there's a lot of back and forth with like us, the parents with that emotional regulation, but what are, what are some of the factors then that, that factor that come into play here?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely think it's, it's mostly internal and, and there is a lot of the brain, there the brain plays a huge part on emotional regulation but our brain has these sensors our body has these sensors that are designed to inform you about the world around you so it's a lot of that external stuff that that kids are exposed to or any individuals exposed to that really alters your internal state so if we can change the external stuff and address the external stuff it will work on the internal stuff
1: and i was so relieved to sort of talk to you about this a little bit earlier and 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 realize that a lot of times it has to do with simplification so i think we'll we'll also talk about that but let's let's talk about this we're we're in this crazy pandemic we got all these people who are trying to work from home i'm seeing articles in the new york times of like these families who are like putting down new floors in the unused barn behind their houses to create like a new learning you know place for their kids let's assume that most of us don't have like a random barn in our backyard that we can just <laughs> renovate for our kids but we want to have we ha- want to have a good learning environment we want to set up a situation that they're going to learn from home optimally my guess is that last spring situation with my 10-year-old slumped in her bed just like staring at a lesson on Khan Academy was not optimal. What are some of the things that we want to start to pay attention to when we're thinking about doing remote learning with our kids or even homeschooling for that matter? Right.
2: I mean, I think when I talk about room design and space design and, and learning environment design, a lot of people automatically go to decor and bringing things into those environments and it's it's more so about using the natural things around us because our you know all these stress response reactions are based on based on brain biology so using the natural things around us seating considering what kind of seat where the seat is the temperature can you control the temperature at all things like the lighting and natural light exposure noise the the design of the space uh, and the decor of the space as well. And and even uh, things like aromas, smell really impact your ability to learn. So all of those little things considered collectively together to to either help you stay neutral or to raise your internal stress response.
1: So what are, what are some things that, where would we start? So if we're looking at our living rooms or dining rooms, and we're looking around, what am I looking for?
2: I think I, I like to start with seating because like everyone's going to probably sit on something they're going to have a you know, chair so you know what what can we change about just the seating in general and that could be you know, for one I think when we think we're working or kids are supposed to be learning they're supposed to be in a seat I mean, kids don't always have to sit in fact it's really good for them for for every year of age mm-hmm that's how many minutes they have where they can sit and attend. So if a teacher is teaching a five-year-old, they have about five minutes of direct instruction time and that's based on brain research, so.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. So I want you to just repeat that again because that seems like a really important piece that maybe we're, we're, we're glossing over and not paying
2: attention to. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better Confirm that based on my work. Uh, so for every year in age of a child, that's oh. how many minutes of direct instruction they have available. Oh how much my gosh, mental capacity? Wow, wow, and wow. that's in-person instruction. So when you go to virtual instruction, you're you're probably cutting that in half. Oh
1: wow! That's amazing. So, if we're not doing a direct instruction, so I'm I'm picturing like all these five year olds on mm-hmm. a Zoom call, mm-hmm. and the teachers trying to teach first grade or whatever, and yeah. learning the letters, and you know, five minutes, maybe less than that, four minutes yeah. max, and then these kids are just they're they're not attentive and they're not really learning.
2: And, and there are some that will be able to attend longer than others. There are some mm-hmm. that won't be able to attend as long as others. So where seating comes into play with that is movement. So kids don't have to sit in a seat. Like if they're they're standing, the blood is circulating to their, their legs and other parts of their bodies. So can they alternate between standing and sitting?
1: Like my my uplift desk. I'm yes, just like exactly. A free promo for uplift Because exactly. I love like my sitting and standing desk. Yep. You are standing right now. I can see. I am. Both standing of us right are now. like standing here having this <laughs> interview, which so so yeah. So this the movement, kids standing. So can we? So you're saying, can we find a place where they can both sit
2: and stand? It's many different seating arrangements that you can have so they have choices because when you have choices you have you have control you have freedom mm-hmm. and when you have freedom and control in, in a society that takes that away a lot especially the educational system mm-hmm. giving back some control in do you want to sit on the floor do you want to mm-hmm. sit in the chair you know you can choose where you sit it, it could you know other forms of seating could be like adding something to a seat so you could do exercise ball or stool versus chair with no back. So they have to sit more upright. Uh, you could do like, they have the, <laughs> when you uh, are in the exercise department at like a Target or a Dollar General or a Walmart, there are these like plastic blown up balance balls. They're like flat uh, circular tubes that that people use to practice balance on. And you could buy one of those relatively cheap and put them on a chair and a, a child could sit on them. And because they're air filled, the kids can move around a little bit and they get mm-hmm. some more blood circulation. They get some movement. They don't have to be sitting still in a hard chair. And it also works on you know, their abdominal, their core, that balance.
1: Okay. Okay. So when my husband and I are like, you can't be doing the, the your lessons like lying down in your bed, We want we want you to be downstairs, but we do want to give her options what if you, what if your child's like continually opting to just slump on the couch for like 3 hours yeah i think
2: from what i know is, is that <laughs> slumping and, and like getting too comfortable is, is not conducive for active learning so that's great if they're reading a book or if they're doing maybe some independent work so transitioning between spots so i think a lot of homes were setting up like this one area for kids to work and maybe it's the table but maybe like the direct instruction is at the table and then the independent work is in the bed or on the couch, because they can get more comfortable during that work.
1: Okay, this sounds great. I'm I'm already getting ideas about my space, and I imagine the <laughs> listener is too. So we want to look at our seating. We want to look at the space and say, can our child sit? Maybe we can we get get some. What did you say? A like balance ball on the chair, like or, or a cushion on the chair. Yeah, a around. cushion would be
2: fine too. Bal- the balance ball like structure, it's like a, a air filled disc it would be. The best because it's it's flat and it's most of them have texture to them
1: oh i know so, what you're
2: talking yeah. about now
1: finally i envisioned it yeah it's like uh like a 10 or 12 inch like yes uh exactly. disk that's filled <laughs> with air yeah 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 i've, I've seen that like as a, as a physical therapist or whatever okay got it all right cool i hope the listener you got that too <laughs> <No>? <laughs> that's a <lot> of <laughs> and what about um what about um you know as far as like the walls, the yeah. the decor. We talked about. We talked. You and I have talked a little bit about how, like, a lot of elementary school classrooms are way overstimulating yes. Yes. as far as walls and decor. What do we want to look for in our own homes?
2: Yeah. So when we walk into any room, as adults, as children, whatever, our our brain is both consciously and unconsciously processing everything in that physical environment. So if you have a room just filled with things and color and sensory stimulation, the brain is trying to make sense of all of that and organize it and determine like what it is and is it safe? And that takes away so much of our mental capacity. So when we have these classrooms that are just filled with things, you'll you'll probably, if you pay attention to those kids versus a kid that's in a room or a classroom that is, is more wall space that's uncovered, you'll see an energy change in between the two rooms. The kids in the room that has the stuff everywhere, they're going to be more heightened. They're going to be more chatty. They're going to be more active. They're not going to be sitting quite as still versus if you walk into a room where there's not a lot on the wall and there's a lot of neutrals. There are a lot of neutrals. You'll see kids in a more calm, quiet state. It's Mm. just, it's our intake of all of that sensory stuff on the walls so less is more Uh, leaving some white space is really good because if they have a blank white wall that that promotes creativity so they look at a blank white wall and they can decipher thoughts and ideas and process but Mm -hmm. if they are looking at a wall filled with images or color they're then processing that thing
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so simplify, simplify the environment. We don't want it to be like a sparse jail cell, but pretty a simple, simple, comfortable
2: environment, basically. Hundred percent, yes, and warm and inviting. So. Colors like reds and oranges, or at least those like real strong reds and oranges, they, they are connected to more heightened emotions, more like frustration and anger. So there's, there's been a lot of study on if you have a lot of like reds and oranges, kids are quicker to anger, quicker to frustration. So if you want kids to be more calm and collected, use some more of those calming, cooling colors. So those, you know, the earthy tones, the, the, the blues, the greens, the grays.
1: Mm, okay blues, greens and grays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, I could, I can do that. Uh, So, okay. So we can think about, so now I'm I'm thinking about my dining room and I'm thinking about maybe I'll get some like pillows for the chair, make it more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, Some, you know, some cool tones and things like that. What about, you know, you, you talked even about um, temperature Right. There's, is there an optimal temperature for learning? There is, <laughs> yes.
2: yes there has been a lot of study on this too. It's so, so interesting. Ideally, you want to be between like 68 and 72, 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Huh.
1: 68 and 72. Okay. And warmer than that, because sometimes we get our wood stove going
2: in the winter and it gets a little
1: cozy. It's like, makes you too sleepy for learning, I imagine.
2: Exactly. So it's much like in the bed where you're super comfortable and you're laying down, your blood's not you know pumping through your body. When it's too warm, you get into this very comfortable state and you sink into relaxation, which again, might be okay if you're doing like independent work, but if you're doing direct instruction or your child's trying to learn optimally, you want below 72, 73 degrees.
1: Okay. All right, cool. What about lighting?
2: Lighting. So lighting is probably one of my favorites because it's so connected to our biological rhythms, our circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. So if you are, again, want to be active in learning and teaching and uh, the, the most conducive lighting environment is natural light because back to hunter gatherers you know we were active we were awake we were working during those hours of light during evening and nighttime and it was darker we were going into a rested and then sleep state so if you close the blinds too long as it's, it's dark that's gonna release melatonin into the body and the kids are and you might and will start to feel more groggy and more sleepy so the more natural light we can use the better
1: it's interesting because I was flipping through something and I remember seeing somebody had like converted kind of a closet into like a learning desk area mm-hmm. for their child, but maybe that's not such a good idea because you're completely enclosed there. You have no natural light and there's not a lot of movement or options or you, you don't have any kind of different seating option at all and that you're right. just kind of stuck in that one spot.
2: Right. I mean, it seems it, it would be a choice that we would naturally make. They like, call oh, this small area, it's perfect for a little workspace, a little work area. But yeah, if you want to be attentive and you want to be focused, it's best to be in natural light or near natural light. Or if you're not going to, you know, if you're going to use a space like that to take, go back to seating, movement, take breaks and step away from that closet and go over to the natural light for a little bit, do a little bit of work and then come back to the closet and then go back to the natural light uh, to get those little spurts of, of energy from the light.
1: Okay, cool. I'm thinking about even encouraging my daughter to like do some work, maybe out in her patio too. Yes. Um, if you have an outdoor space, that's a great place to then do work, I guess. Because you're, I imagine, just you're keep, you know, you're referring to the biology. Like, we, you know, for all basically all of human existence except for the last couple hundred years, we would just be outside all the time. So that's where yeah. our, our body, minds, and spirits feel most relaxed yeah. and comfortable.
2: Yeah, and inside we have a lot of artificial light, especially in school systems. A lot of them use the fluorescent bulbs, and they're just so unnatural. Like those things didn't exist hundreds of years ago, so they're very they're a stressor to our our stress our biology. Our internal stress response becomes activated mm-hmm. by those unnatural lights because the body doesn't recognize them and the harshness of the light. So yeah, working outside would be awesome. I know that that can often lead to some distraction but if there are expectations set around that working space outside and you know novelty can be a distraction so once they've worked there and they've gotten into a routine of working in that outdoor space it won't be so new to them and they'll be able to focus and and be attentive and and the benefits of of working outside I mean more than just natural light you've got hopefully well depends if your city or or suburban or or country but the, the plant life anything green Is Mm -hmm. is naturally calming, naturally soothing. So if you have, you know, that outside, that that helps too, and then just the the fresh air too wakes the body up.
1: So, kind of what I'm getting from you too is that, like, with this going back to what you said earlier about um, for every year of age, that's how many minutes of direct instruction we we can we should have. It sounds like we kind of want to set it up for our kids to be like. I think of my kids Montessorian classroom mm-hmm. where they have they have this three hour work period and they can choose to work on something and then they can choose to take a break when they want. They can sit on the rug if they want to work on something here or they can go sit at a table. They have a lot of those choices and things. So what I'm kind of hearing from you is that if we could create an environment where our kids can have some some a place to kind of sit and focus and those calming elements and colors to kind of sit and focus, but then also some space to, to move and to, to just move their bodies. Maybe, I mean, what, what if say you are in an apartment, you can't go outside, what might you recommend for some like movement breaks to kind of break up those direct learning instruction times?
2: That's a great question. And I think it's so important more than ever, because we are doing more virtual instruction that we are, Scheduling breaks because kids don't often recognize when they do need a break. I mean, sometimes as adults we can we can see it, but they need to become aware of their internal feeling. And if their body is getting agitated or frustrated, like that's a great break time. And it's okay to take a break. Like you want them to be aware of how they feel internally. But I think with with that, then my my mind goes to like, okay, what can we do to maybe get the blood pumping? Because you get the blood pumping, it's circulating, it wakes the body up. So can they do something like? Run up and down the steps a couple times. Can they do some push-ups against the wall? Could they do like some squats or you know, any type of adult exercise that you can bring down to the level of a child that gets mm. them moving? Mm-hmm. The big thing then is they're in a heightened state of energy, which is fine. But you gotta, if you want them to go back to like seated still work, you've got to take them from that heightened energy state to a rested state. So you need something in between. So that's where you bring in that like deep breathing or that more mindfulness meditative. And it just needs to be like a, a couple seconds, 30 seconds a minute. And that will bring them back to like a neutralized state to be able to learn or participate again. So the whole sequence can take, I mean, a minute, a minute and a half, like a minute mm-hmm. to do an exercise, 30 seconds to breathe it out to get to neutral and they're back and ready to go again. Or we can spend 10 minutes trying to keep their attention and power through.
1: Okay, so yeah, so like we could just have some music ready to turn on for a quick like dance break. Actually, sometimes my husband and I like we've done the the seven minute workout with the yeah, yeah. Alexa, and now our kids, my kids, do it sometimes. You know, and they've done it with us, and they're like doing their push ups with us. It's really funny. Um, my thirteen year old does seven minute workout sometimes. It's really <laughs> hilarious to like. It's great, you know. Um, yes. okay. So we want to factor in some of that movement and maybe, I guess, if the, you know, we want to think about maybe some ways to like make that easily accessible in the environment, mm-hmm. something that either we're modeling or something yeah. that, you know, they can see, um, depending on your resources, you know, I'm trying to think even like for little kids, like maybe even like, I don't know, just like,
2: like animal things so like crab walk or uh, like mountain pose or like a bear walk like anything that can be tied to something that is familiar that kind of has a level of humor or fun or like yeah anything like that would be awesome for young kids.
1: Yay, yeah, yeah, like silly play. That that mm-hmm. that's like the natural stress reliever. And then finally you you also even mentioned aroma? Aroma matters?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean if you're focused on something and, and something smells really good, like cookies, like it's going to take your attention away from the act. So like making cookies when a kid is in direct instruction is maybe not the best time to be baking because it's going to take their attention away from what they're learning. Um, And that's just a side example, but, but other things like if you were to use certain scents, whether they're plants or essential oils, Mm -hmm. even candles, can in, ignite learning or neutralize the stress response so, so lavender is very calming uh, mm. and it also is associated with trust so i encourage teachers like if you don't want to if you can't or don't want to do essential oil get some lavender like some real lavender and like mm. put it in your room when kids come into your room for the first couple weeks of school or you know if they're in a home setting and they're they, putting it near their workstation. So lavender can be really calming. Things like citrus and peppermints can, can really lift the energy. So if, they're, you know, if the kids are like really exhausted, you can put a drop of essential oil on your hand or their hand or on something, they just sniff it and all of their senses like goes right up into their brain. They're olfactory nerve, all these things, wire and fire in the brain and it alerts the brain to, to pay attention.
1: All right, cool. Well, I have some diffusers. I have some essential oils. All right. So when I see the the slumping, I'll get out the citrus. Exactly. Maybe um, I'm even having a vision of like maybe the first couple of weeks, I'll get some, see if I can get some lavender and some like nice Mm -hmm. like twigs or plants and make a little like natural center decor to kind of like make it just feel comfortable and homey. But put in a little more effort than just like sit here, kid. (laughs) Do yeah. the
2: work. <laughs> I, think, I think the one that like teachers and, and parents say that is most useful is, is bringing some plant life into mm. your, your house or your working environment because plants are calming, they purify the air, They, if they're a scented plant, they might have some benefits there to the aromas for working, but considering can you bring in some plant life and then kids can have control over maybe picking some of the plants and work on responsibility by taking care of the plants.
1: Mm-hmm. Actually, that is my 10-year-old's weekend job is to water the plants. <laughs> so so that'd be good. All right. Well, so this is awesome. You're. I feel like a spark of excitement now right. about kind of coming and making this environment more appealing, mm-hmm. more calming, more, you know, as we pay attention to these things, it's going to help our kids focus, right? So seating, options, temperature get that exercise ball maybe and like even colors and, and lighting. So this is, this is great. This is giving us, giving me a lot of ideas. Is there anything that we, we miss that you feel like is important to consider or, or any like kind of mindset that we want to think about as we go into this?
2: Yeah. I think the biggest thing is, you know, my focus is on emotional regulation. The first mm-hmm. step in emotional regulation is being aware of your, your state, your internal state. So with all of these things, like as adults, paying attention to what kids' bodies are doing, but helping kids to cue into what their own bodies are doing and feeling and acting and responding to that. So if you're teaching as an educator and you see some movement on screen, notice that, pay attention to that, and maybe maybe that's a great break time, or you talk to the families and, and encourage them to be aware of their their kiddos and their movement within instruction and, and encourage them to take breaks or teach kiddos to, to focus on their bodies and how they feel and, and ask for a break or take their own break. And I think that we just, sometimes we're moving so quickly, we, we overlook the emotional temperature of learning and kids and those feelings.
1: And that's going to be huge because if that stress response is firing in our kids, they're not learning anyway, right? So right, Exactly. Yeah, so that that emotional well being is incredibly important. Agreed. Okay. All right, um, Lauren, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the the work that you do helping parents and teachers uh, help those help those kiddos get those that emotional regulation. It's so awesome, and I have so many ideas now. I kind of feel like I have a new home decor mission. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. Lear, learning home decor mission. Um, <clears throat> so, where can people find out more about the work you do, um, uh, and 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 learn more about what you're doing in, in the world?
2: Yeah, a great place would be to check out the website. There's some information on there. If there's if you want more specific information about. Space design and learning space design. I just released a course that goes into a whole lot of detail in all of those areas, and that can be found through the website as well, which is thebehaviorhub.com. All right,
1: thebehaviorhub.com. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you for doing the work that you do. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today and uh, and sharing everything you know about this with, with everyone. I feel like this is not something that many of us are pay- These are not things many of us are paying attention to. So you're really opening my eyes and
2: I really, really appreciate it. I, I truly appreciate you having me on here and allowing me to share this very important knowledge with everyone. And it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. We are supported by Braddock face masks. Okay, so my mom went and tried the Braddock face masks using the 25% off promo code Hunter and got them right away and she loves them for doing her volunteer work outside where it's hot they are the most comfortable and i have discovered they are so easily washed and worn so i really love the way they wash they come out really easily some of the other ones come out stiff and crinkly and strange these come out super soft every single time And they're just so comfortable and cool. Braddock does things differently. And now these are the face masks that me and my family wear all the time. And I want you to listen closely because you're going to get that 25% off coupon code off your masks too. They're unlike other masks. They actually feel really good. They use these premium upcycled fabrics, super soft and breathable, and they have moisture wicking technology. And they do definitely hold up after dozens and dozens of washes. If you want to know what upcycling is, it means that they take brand new existing fabrics, less waste for every purchase using the code. The guys at Braddock are donating masks to those in need. Braddock has already donated thousands of masks to nurses and healthcare workers and first responders across the country. So you're not only doing good for you, you're doing good for others. I invite you to go to their website, braddockusa.com, and you'll get an additional 25% off with the promo code HUNTER on your first purchase. That's 25% off your entire order with the promo code hunter at braddockusa.com b-r-a-d-d-o-c-k-u-s-a.com use that coupon code hunter go check them out get some and from all of us let's beat this and move on to better days Kimberlyn, thank you so much for coming on the mindful mama podcast
0: i am incredibly honored
1: to be here thank you so much for having me yay and I know you. We are going to talk about remote learning. We're going to talk about homeschooling. I have some questions about like, what are some different terms? Now I've been looking into it. But the reason why I know you, this great, wonderful expert in education, doing this work, doing this remote learning work, and helping parents with homeschooling, is because you were part of the Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Group. Yes. Yay. So before we dive into all those home. Learning questions. Maybe I could just ask you a little bit about what what did you what what did you experience in, in that group? Yes, um,
0: I I actually signed up for that group because you announced it, launched it, well announced it or whatever the day after I found out that I was pregnant with my second child, mm-hmm. and I was like freaking out um, because how can I be mindful with two babies? Um, So it definitely was very helpful in bringing me peace of mind and practice. And it was, I feel like so much of it is like simple, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but in a way that's deep and we just keep going through the same thing. And it's the same answers to every question almost like, so that if you just keep using those same tools, you start realizing that they work in so many different situations and not just with children, but with my husband. And now it's expanding out to others. Um, so it was, it was really great. And the especially the, I've noticed with that, that transformation group, it was such a small group. And we saw the same people every single week and got to know each other. And it was very intimate and very helpful to build that relationship. And the other coaching calls are also good, but then I see, like, different people in there. Um, so it's harder to, like, have that same relationship. But it's still really good practice for all of those communication skills that we've been practicing over and over. And and the more I – even if it has nothing to do with my particular situation, just hearing someone else kind of get coached through it, and that I can hear that the practice of those same skills that is just really good. To apply to everyone, and it just helps reinforce all of it in my mind and
1: make it more second nature. That's so cool! Like as you describe that, I picture you as this like with like <laughs> this, like Western gunslinger with <laughs> this like you know it's, what is this like? It's like a fanny pack or something with like holster <laughs> holster guns in it, and you've got like these tools, and you're like wah, 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 <laughs> and you've got your tools ready now. <laughs> Yes, that's how it is.
0: And it's, and it is, it's only like two, right? Like you only need, like, just have to know a couple things. Like am I using it? Cause it's my problem or my child's problem. And yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. 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 Good, good. Well, good. All right. So, um, so with that glowing endorsement, we have some spots. Here. Come yeah. talk to me about it at mindfulmommamentor.com slash group coaching, but that is not what we are here to talk about. We are here to talk about home learning because ay <laughs> we're all so right before I'm talking to you Kim I had my back to school meeting my kids go to a, a public Montessori school um, and we had our back to school meeting with their teacher and my kids are going to be going back they really want to go back to they're going a hybrid model which is two morning two or three mornings a week uh, but starting in, you know, starting later, starting about four weeks after, they're going to have rem- remote learning for four weeks. But my own, ex- I'm, I'm a little like, ah, what are we going to do? Because remote learning in the spring was such a, <laughs> such a terrible. I want to say blank show, right? But it was such a, it was such a um, it was just so frustrating. Like they weren't learning in sync. Like my kid had office hours with their teachers like twice a week at four o'clock in the afternoon when we were all done with everything. And it was just like it, it was great for my middle schooler, but it was terrible. It wasn't so good for my other daughter and everybody, and I think a lot of people had these experiences where it was like, oh, we just no one's knows what we're doing, just thrown into this thing. So now, we may know what we're doing and and we may have some remote learning guidelines and we may have some structure, but so maybe we can talk about this like sort of for little kids. How how can we optimize this remote learning experience for our kids?
0: I, I've heard so many stories like yours and ultimately what I keep finding is that it is the same thing that I've always known about kids in general, is every child is unique. Every child has things that they that needs to be a little bit different. Like we have, there's some like universal truths about learning and education that I think everybody should understand. But then there's also the individual parts where there are some kids who kind of thrive in this virtual learning environment, as surprising as it is, And then there's a lot of kids who are really struggling with it. And then we're getting like very different things from parents too. Like some parents will say, why didn't you offer something more rigorous in the spring? We didn't see enough of you. We needed more lessons. We needed more. And then there's other parents who are like, that was too much that you Mm. gave us. It was too overwhelming. We can't keep up with all of that. This is too stressful. So
1: um, you couldn't win. (laughs) Yeah. No. And that's
0: it. You all, you have to be adaptive. And so like our, the school I'm at, we had the plan of the hybrid, like you were talking about. And then um, we're in California. But so the governor said, no, you schools are not open. You cannot go back in person right now. So we had to switch to all remote learning to start our school year. And it was, this is our fourth week. Um, And we've had to also adjust there. So it started off with everybody is on this very rigorous remote learning plan. You, you know, it's school hours. You're either online or doing this activity. Like you're at school for, but then there's all these parents who are like, but I work yeah, or my child can't do that on their own. Or I have six kids and I can't help all, every single one of them. And this child does just fine. But this child is, is distracted by all of the other kids. There's so many individual and different situations that we've had to kind of make some adjustments. And there's some kids that don't go on any of their classroom live meets because it just wasn't working well, but they're just doing their own thing. So it's it's really hard. And I think that when parents know that they can just truly homeschool, because I also see so much time wasted especially the little ones. Oh my goodness. I see, like, I watch first grade and our teachers are so amazing. They're so great, but they're trying to get, you know, th- not quite 30, but 25 plus kin- first graders to like look at a screen and tell and respond to what's this letter. And, you know, they're trying to learn, but then they're calling out this kid and this kid and trying to get everybody on the same page. It takes five times or more longer than if the parent just did the exact same activity with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's, and, and just the flexibility of the time, like you kind of have to have an adult sitting next to this first grader. I'm like, well, if that adult just did the teaching, it would, everyone's time and sanity might be saved. Um, but a lot of the kids like seeing the other kids too. So it, it it is really hard and it is definitely that every child is so unique and needs something individual and and we need to be able to adapt to each child as needed and each home situation as needed.
1: Well, you give me a lot to ask about because I definitely want to ask what these universal truths are, but you know, the way I had been thinking about it is like kids five and under anyway are like preschoolers like that seems like it can pretty much be like, let's just have it be play at home. And we learn things as we learn in life skills. And you're like nodding at me. So I'm I'm getting, you're like, you're yes, a hundred percent. I agree. Right. Like they learn life skills. They can read books. They can learn a lot through that. Right. But so I, but then you talked about first grade and like so I have a friend who has a first grader and she is going to homeschool her first grade but like when you get to first grade I think this is when parents we start to like freak out a little bit right like cuz this is the age like kids are supposed to learn to read in first grade like if they haven't already or you know and there's a lot of like this is where like academic work starts so people start to kind of freak out a little bit so but you're saying like maybe parent we can we as parents can can do some homeschooling so I want to dive into that I want to talk about the parent homeschooling thing but let's imagine that the parent is like no way Jose I don't want to be homeschooling this is not my gig what what are some things we can do to support our kids if we're not gonna do any of that homeschooling ourselves stay tuned for more mindful mama podcast right after this break We are supported by Peanut. What is it? It's this app that helps you meet like-minded moms and moms-to-be. Peanut provides a safe space for mothers, expectant mothers, and those trying to conceive to build friendships, ask questions, and find support. It introduces you to women nearby at a similar stage in life, which is so cool. I've seen these other moms of teens in there, and it was amazing. Yesterday, I opened up Pina, and I saw this warning about something that had been happening on TikTok, and I went and showed my 13-year-old daughter, and she said, yes, she had heard about it. And so we got to have this conversation, but I was kind of in the know because of Pina. It was so helpful. Pina provides access to a community of women who are there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. So whether it's teens or understanding IVF or adoption, pregnancy, first years, nursery, and beyond, Peanut is a place to connect with women like you. It's really cool and totally free. So I invite you to download the app for free today. Head to peanut.app.link slash mindful. That's peanut, P-E-A-N-U-T dot app, A-P-P, dot link slash mindful or find it on your app store. We'll also include that link in our show notes. So if you're on your phone, you could probably flip over to the other side of your player and find that link right in your show notes or find it on your app store.
0: I think you definitely have to pay attention to who your child is and their their mental health is number one. Mm -hmm. If they are not emotionally in a good place to be learning, then skip school for that day. Like there's nothing that they're going to learn. You know, we know that the brain isn't learning when you're not in a, in a good state of mind. If you're really upset or stressed out, then nothing good is happening. Um, and i'm seeing that with some parents are getting so stressed out and then we know that that is then leading to everyone else in the family is getting stressed out and then nobody is learning and it's very stressful for everyone so i think you have to constantly how am i feeling about it how is my child feeling about it and constantly be checking in with that and don't be afraid that your child is going to wind up behind everyone else because they will wind up behind everyone else if they're super stressed out. Like that's that's much worse. That's much more detrimental than the missing school for a day or a week, like or a month. I mean, they can catch up so easily, especially if they're in a state of mind that's allowing their brain to continue to develop optimally. Yeah, you know, you're talking about with kindergartners um, and preschoolers, like just be part of the day and reading and and playing like we know that so much great brain development happens from play and moving their bodies. It's another big concern I have is if the Mm -hmm. kids at the computer all day, they're not moving their bodies, they're not playing. And that can be detrimental to brain development. So we have to make sure that we're balancing those things um, and our, and the way that our school has it set up is the kids are, you know, in a session for a little bit, and then they have a long break because the teachers are like working in small, a lot of small groups throughout the day. So each kid has a lot of breaks in between their sessions. Um, but they, so the, the, the parents need to be making use of that and, and maybe sometimes not doing the lesson that, the teacher just instructed them to do. I know I'm a bad influence, but but I'm concerned because I wanna make sure that they're getting outside. They need to be getting outside every day. They need to be moving every day. Like that, those are the things we know are going to be helping their brain development and their health and are going to allow them to continue to learn. If you, know, if you work really, really hard with a child for five hours a day, you're probably not doing any more learning than if you work with them really, really hard for 20 minutes a day because they just get so overwhelmed and stressed out. They can't keep learning. So I think parents need to just constantly be checking in with their own emotional state, check in with their child's emotional state, make sure their child is getting a lot of active, active play. And then of course the regular good sleep, good nutrition, um, and those things,
1: you know, what you say rings so true to me because, um, with, I was listening I was listening to a podcast where we were talking about intelligence and and the way they measure intelligence and things like that and and talking about how you cannot separate intelligence from interest and so if you have like this driving interest in whatever you're going to have like this huge capacity for intelligence in that area and what you're saying is that I love this giving people permission to skip a day if you need to, because that mental health is number one. And you're right. Like that, you know, uh, that stress response is cutting off access to the, the, the higher order brain and that your child is literally not learning anything if they're stressed and upset. And so, so yeah, so, so let's step back a little from the cliff. <laughs> let's let's change our expectations and make it a little bit more of a go with the flow. And I know that pe- parents are worried about like routines and rhythm, trying to kind of set up a routine. And Routines are great. And that structure is great. But I guess I invite people to kind of like think of it a little bit more as a rhythm, like kind of first we do this and then we do this. But then with, yeah mental health is the same as physical health I guess you probably wouldn't say like if a kid's having a real rough day or parents having a real rough day you probably wouldn't say like just put them in the room with YouTube kids on for two hours instead of doing their lessons like what what might they do instead get outside wherever, wherever. you can ideally and if you can't get outside at
0: least move you know the the movement, or playing Lego or something where you're moving your body is a great way, especially, you know, the right left hemisphere. We want both sides of your, um, both sides to be moving that actually helps brain development so much. They've found that kids who never crawled often struggle with reading. So one of the, one of the, um, strategies is if a kindergartner is really struggling with learning some things or a first grader, if I find out that they've never crawled, then that's their homework. They need to be crawling every day and climbing, you know, that the coordination between left and right hemisphere of left and right body is coordinating your left and right hemisphere. All of those brain connections, it's huge and makes a huge difference in your child's ability to learn. So I, I get worried if we aren't moving enough because then our brain isn't developing the way it's supposed to be. And we get worried about like, I especially get frustrated with like the rote memory stuff, like Mm -hmm. knowing your ABCs and what number is this? Like all of that comes so easily later. If your brain has been developing properly, if Mm -hmm. you worry about trying to get your, you know, child to know all of their letters and numbers at the cost of not allowing them to play freely openly um, moving their entire body and also problem solving and, and being creative with like building, like I said, with like Lego um, and figuring out what it can be, or even just blocks like wooden blocks. We just really love Lego in this house, but we also have wooden blocks and do a lot of building in general is just, um, it's great problem solving stuff too. And even just creative play, imaginative play, like, All of that helps with so many different aspects of brain development. It's how kids naturally learn. And yet when we see it, we so often think, well, it's fun. So it must not be learning, but it is learning and it's, it's, it's almost better. Well, it actually is better learning than a lot of what we do offer in terms of the rote memory. You know, you have to memorize your ABCs. Um, and even older kids, you have to memorize your multiplication tables. You have to memorize the steps for long division. Um, it, all, it, it all is so much more meaningful if children are physically involved in what they are learning and physically playing and all of the, the whole body and whole brain interacting.
1: And the interest, like you said, interest is so huge in getting a child to learn something. Yeah. Yeah. So my daughter is, who's 10 going into fifth grade. She's not so great with her times tables. It's not her strength. So we've been trying to go over it. And then she decided, she discovered this, uh, (laughs) she discovered this, this uh, Delaware site for rescue horses. And she figured she saw that was $800. And so the last few days she has been calculating up like how much it would cost to board a horse, how much the tack would cost, where she can find used tack, how how much, you know, uh, 12 months of boarding times four years because the horse is 16 years old would cost. When Oh, and then how much it would cost if we go to this other place where board is like a lot cheaper. And so this interest is driving her to like do all this like math and multiplication just like on her own. And it's so beautiful to see that. So I've been like... Chilling out, and my like uh, <laughs> my my times tables help with her. But let me just let me just like recap. So you're saying like we can support them by basically like kind of providing those breaks, providing that support, making sure they're moving. Make you know provide a break if they're having a hard day. Take care of that mental emotional health first, and get get moving, get climbing, go outside. You basically take care of the whole child and then provide that support then for the remote learning. That's a way to provide that support.
0: Right. Yeah. All of that provides the support for the remote learning. Um, Awesome. So yeah, something else I forgot. Oh, no, no. Say it. Say it. (laughs) No, I, I, I was, you reminded me of something, but I was just reinforcing that. Yeah. You need the, you need that you need to keep in mind what's going on with your child and make sure that they are getting access to all of that. Um, Oh, the other part that I was going to say was if you do, if your child is doing well, the other, then there are other things that you can do to help them learn more deeply. So Mm. like if you're there and you're seeing a lesson, do everything you can to make that lesson real life for Mm. them. Um, you know, like you gave a great example of something that was entirely your daughter, but even if your daughter hadn't seen that, a lot of times you can see that, you know, they're in sixth grade and they're learning about interest. They, how can we apply that to finding out about, um, or percentages, if we think about percentages, like I always I remember I was an adult. I taught one of my friends about percentages because it, we were like shopping and it said 30% off. And she's like, how much is that? So I was t- like teaching her how to figure out what the cost would be. Um, and so, but it had never like stuck with her because it had never been a real life application. And then mm. she was like, that's so easy. Why didn't I know that? <laughs> um, yeah. But it was like this mysterious math. So anytime we can make things like very real for our child, like bring in something they're interested in or hand them something that's like a physical manipulation of Mm. that idea. Like that's really big that I worry about that we too often like go straight to doing math, paper, pencil. Mm. And we don't start with the concrete this is what numbers like really look like. Here's all the objects that you're adding and what it looks like. Um, And even big numbers, you can get a whole bunch of like tiny little cubes and the, the base 10 blocks that the Montessori. Oh my God. I know you're days. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Cause I've been
1: watching these Montessori materials my yeah. whole life thinking like, Oh my God, if I only learned math this way, I would yes. have like, it would have been so much better. Yeah. So Montessori materials are amazing. So maybe this is a good segue into homeschooling because maybe these are some things that we can provide for our kids. Right. Or l- yes. like if you have the means, you may be able to get some like cool stuff that might support your kids learning. Yes. So Montessori has their golden beads and
0: they're, they're great. And I love them. The cheaper version that they don't think is the same for a couple of reasons, but they're mostly the same is just called base 10 blocks. Mm. You can get a set of base 10 blocks on Amazon for about $25. Mm. Um, and it'll come with like a giant cube that represents 1,000 of the tiniest pieces. And then they've got the sticks that are 10 of the tiniest pieces and then the flat big squares that are 100. Mm-hmm. So they're they're getting kids, and if you really use them a lot, kids start to really recognize that, they're, that these 10 tiny squares equal one longer piece and 10 of those equal this. And they start to really see those numbers. So then you start... We start, we tend to use them with like kindergartners. And then when our kids get older, we want them to just do everything paper, pencil. And why can't they understand that? And of course they can't understand that because they don't know what that huge number really is. So if you actually have them build out, you know, 547 plus 329 and see what those, how big that is and manipulate like, oh, this doesn't all fit here because I'm only allowed to have up to nine tens in the tens place I'm only allowed to have up to nine hundreds in the hundreds place and I've got to move things around to make this work and you know they if they start in really knowing those rules and how it works and understanding it there's so many so many great ways to really concretely teach how that all works Um,
1: So I think I I can like hear the listener getting scared at like, "OMG, I cannot do this!" (laughs) Like I'm getting confused as Kimberly's talking myself as to what the heck she's talking about. So, so like visuals definitely help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that would that would be very helpful here. But part of what you do is you reassure parents that they actually can do they can homeschool. Let's so say they could yeah. decide to kind of opt out if their kid isn't doing well, their child isn't doing well with remote learning. You could try, just do it on your own. So talk a little bit about that. Like what's that like?
0: And well, and that totally depends on you and your child and what works best for you. Cause there's a lot of different thing. There's a lot of different systems out there that are like, um, their way of doing it. So there's like, a very like kind of traditional approach where you basically are almost copying school, but at home. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit more flexibility with it. And that's what a lot of people are most comfortable with to start with because they want to make sure their child is getting a really good education. So, okay, give me the same textbooks that they would be doing at school. And we're going to still have the same routine and, and, and it works. Um, But then there's always the question of, well, then why did you pull them out of school? (laughs) Because it's just Mm -hmm. extra work on you um but then there can be still even if you do that you can still have the flexibility of following their interests so if they're interested in a certain novel then you don't need to do the novel that was going to be happening in class you can do this other novel and you can work on those same skills like there's nothing that magical about whatever novel the teacher picked it's what skills was the teacher trying to work on Mm -hmm. through that novel Mm -hmm. um what and so there's, there's a lot of things out there. Um, and I'm trying, I'm trying to back myself up because I get too excited <laughs> and say, and go too far, which is kind of where I was going with the base 10. Like I can like, what well, is great. Uh, point is it, for that one was just that manipulatives are great. Anything concrete is great for math. Um, for this though, if you look at Different states are a little bit different. They all have their own homeschooling rules, so you have to look up your state's exact rules. And different states have different state standards. We were trying to go to the same standards for every state, because it used to be like every state basically had their own thing going on. And then we tried to do the common core so that everybody in the whole country had the same standards, but then a lot of states opted out of that and still have their own standards. So you kind of have to look to see which your state has. And if that even matters for your situation, because if you're going to be doing your own thing the whole time and your state doesn't require that you follow the standards, then it doesn't even matter what the standards are. Um, So there's a lot that you have to look at kind of individually that I can't help with too much because it's 50 different states and all of their rules. But no matter where you're at, there are certain aspects that you want to understand about learning and there's like a few simple things to start with and that, and that if you understand then it kind of applies to everything and then i i have videos that i do every week to like try to teach specific more specific strategies that are still applicable to everyone but you want to know that like so there's certain one of the things that you want to definitely know um is that your child will learn the most with whatever they are interacting with, especially if they are teaching it. Hmm. So we know that kids learn the most when they are, well, even adults learn the most when they're explaining it to someone else. So the best way to get them to learn something is to have them teach what they just read or learned in math or whatever it is whatever you want them to learn really well, you want them to teach it. So you could have them teach it to a stuffed animal, have them teach it to the dog, have them teach it to their little brother, have them teach it to dad or grandpa or or you. Like they can teach it to anybody or anything. It's just as a matter of having them practice teaching it. Um, A real person's a little bit better because then there's the ability for them to get some feedback. But even if they're teaching it to a stuffed animal, it's good practice and it'll still help them reinforce what they just learned. Um, and similarly, anything that they speak, they tend to learn better than what they are just receptively hearing and seeing. Um, one of the, one of the, kind of a pet peeve of mine is I'll see these like quizzes, what type of learner is your child? And that you like have to know what type of learner your child is. And there are, there is some truth to it. Like I'm not very auditory myself. Like mm-hmm. I know that I learn better with visual stuff, but we also know that every child, no matter what type of learner they are, learns best with multiple modalities. Mm. So if you just are always giving them visuals and auditory and something kinesthetic that they can touch and move, and, you know, if you're doing everything all the time and having them teach it and interact with it, they're always going to be learning the most. Um, and so, another really important mm-hmm. one is whatever you're trying to teach them is going to be learned a lot better and a lot more deeply if you don't teach it directly, but you ask them. Um, It goes back to like uh, the Socratic method, right? Like Socrates used to always just ask questions of his students to get them to learn something. And it's still very true. If we ask our child a question that they then have to figure out for themselves what the answer is instead of just being told the answer they learn it so much more and they understand it so much more because if they have to be the one that comes up with the answer, then they have to truly understand it. If they just repeat back whatever you said to them, they don't have to understand anything that you said. They just have to repeat it. Mm -hmm. They just have to be a parrot and the parrot doesn't understand what they're being told. (laughs) So there's, um, I think that those are a couple of the big ones is making sure that there's that you're asking questions, that you're providing multiple modalities, and like I said before, the hands-on experience is really really critical.
1: So you could now, no, I imagine some listen, some listener may be like, oh my gosh, that's intimidating. But kind of what I'm through what I'm hearing you say is like, if you have a six-year-old, like maybe this week you make, you learn how to make pretzels and then you count up the pretzels and maybe you subtract them away and, and maybe you read Walter the Baker, you know, like, (laughs) and you, you know, so you can just, it's not like you have to do everything all, you know, this is not like you have to do this multiple times a day with six different lessons. This is like saying like, let's just, Think about what do I want my child to learn, and like, and then, and then learn these things may, probably through everyday life and reading and and the different things we're doing anyway, right. right? Right.
0: Yes. Yes. And like we said before, like just them playing is helping their brain development and their critical thinking skills and. And the like the imaginative play, like that's so great for them to be able to be a great writer, a creative mm-hmm. writer later, right? Like all of these ideas that we feel like we have to teach, a lot of times we get stuck in this like almost like lecture mode, like this is what you have to learn. And now it's school time. And it's not always conducive to the best learning. And we know that, but it, we get kind of stuck on like being worried that they're not learning enough. And yet we know that if we relax a little, and just kind of enjoy that process, that we will see the long-term benefits. So even if your child doesn't start reading in kindergarten, then, which not every country teaches at five years old, some countries don't start teaching until seven or eight years old, and that's okay because they know that they're going to learn it. It's not, it's not going to be detrimental to them long-term, as long as you're also recognizing what is it what is it that's causing struggles if you're really seeing struggles like we're really trying to work on this and my child doesn't seem to be able to grasp this, um, you know there are there are different types of learning disabilities that I work with and I help those kids, but a lot of what I'm doing is helping them work through work through the difficulty using all of their strengths, which. Mm-hmm. I feel like any parent can learn how to do because they know their child so well. They know what those strengths are. So if I, if they can just learn a little bit about how to build on those strengths and make those more powerful, they definitely can, can empower their child to feel so successful um, because they'll realize, well, I don't really have to know my time stables because I might learn it eventually anyway. Uh, which, by the way, I didn't know my times tables, honestly, all the way until I was in high school. You're, and I was, like, you're supposedly it. gifted. Like, I didn't know. I I learned them because I was constantly doing it, putting it into a calculator in high school, and then I just, like, through all of that, like, doing it over and over, eventually I learned them all. Um, so, yeah, it was – It's. it's not, like – I have parents and teachers that have even said to me – but he can't do long division. He doesn't know his times tables. I'm like He doesn't need to know his times tables. He need, it, it is easier. I will say that it's easier, but they can actually learn it with, with a times tables chart next to them or a calculator, or, you know, there's other things that can be provided that will allow them to still make progress and still participate in the world, especially in our world today with all of this technology that's one thing I have to convince some parents of is your child will always have a calculator in their pocket. Like that's just the world we live in. So it's okay. And they also now will always have um, speech to text, like Mm. the dictation. Mm. So because that's one of the accommodations that I'll recommend for a lot of my kids, not just that they can't write, but like ADHD kids, especially, they like get so floundered by the writing process that they want that they do better if they can just say it all instead of like trying to find all the letters, especially if they aren't really good at typing or trying to find all the letters. But if they can just like speak into the computer now that you you're, the resistance is gone, mm. you know, before they might've been like, I don't want to write or I already did that. And now they're like, oh, I'll just, tr-, you know, turn on voice typing and here we go. And they're they do great with it. And it's something that is always in their pocket. So it's not like, you know, years ago, it was something that was like, assistive technology and you had to have like it written into their IEP and it had, it was like this whole to do. And now it's just, everybody has access to it all the time. Like, I don't think my mom ever texts me without using voice typing. <laughs>
1: and you get some, a few funny, yeah, funny, funny, funny things there. That's just fine. But I, this is great, Kimberlyn. I really appreciate you coming on kind of, you're reassuring me. Cause sometimes like when I get worried about my child, like we all get a little rigid, right? We get a little tense and when we worry, we want to, con- we try to like control more. It's all the parallels are sort of coming out, right? Like, and you're saying that we can relax a little bit more. We can soften. We want to take care of that mental, emotional health. And then, you know, we want to work with our child's strengths. I love, I love all these, these homeschooling bases, uh, basics. These are really great. So, um, Kimberlyn, thank you so much. Where, if people want to find you and, and find out more about what you do, where can they find you? Um, my website
0: is yourparenthelp.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and trying to get a little more active on there. Um, but I do do, if they go to yourparenthelp.com, I, they can sign up for weekly emails. I do videos every week with tips on math, reading, writing, and just like learning strategies in general. Um, And I also have a free download is the Octopus's Guide to Reading Comprehension. So there's eight strategies to work on reading comprehension in there. And um, basically for anybody from like three up to 12 years old, some of the strategies would work beyond that. Some of them are a little more elementary, um, but there's something at least for everybody in there. And um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that I have. Great. great. I think everybody can learn pretty easily. Yes.
1: Well, thank you so much for reaching out and coming on the podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing and you've, you've, you've let me take a deeper breath myself. So I know that if I'm feeling that the, the list of many of the listeners are too. So it's, it's so much appreciated. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I got so much out of talking to Kimberlyn and Lauren, and I hope that you have gotten a lot out of this episode. You know, for me, it was a big relief and it helped me think about my space more and it helped me just let go of some things where I'm no longer quizzing Sora on her multiplication tables. Uh, Thank goodness school has started again. So I hope it's provided you some ahas and maybe some relief. And if it has, I'd love to know. It's great to I love it when, um, you can take a screenshot of what you're listening to this on and tag me on Instagram. I'm at mindful mama mentor. And that's such a great way to let me know, put it in your stories and tag me. I I love it. And, um, and I want to know what your takeaways and ahas were. Um, I hope this has been helpful. If it has, of course, share it with some friends. And, um, and I'm just wishing you the best. This is such a hard time and we can do it together. You know, we can remember that we can figure out hard things. We can do hard things together. Everything is figure outable. We don't need all the answers to get started. My child, my, their teacher and I were on the same team. And this is hard, but to, we can work together for solutions. So let, let those be some mantras for you. I'm going to make them the mantras for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad to connect with you. I hope to talk to you again. I will see you next Tuesday right here. Same time, same place. And, um, and maybe I'll see you in the membership. Maybe you'll join in these last couple days. It's open at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you'll take it to the next level and then we'll really get to know each other. Either way, I can't wait to connect again and I'm wishing you a beautiful, peaceful week, my friend. Namaste.